0: Once again, very nice to be with you and to pray with you tonight. It's an honor. Thornton Wilder's second Pulitzer Prize-winning play, we all know the first one, Our Town. In fact, all of us, I, I bet a lot of us, either read that in American literature or they performed it during the four years of our high school career. But hardly anybody thinks much about his second Pulitzer Prize-winning play, which was called By the Skin of Our Teeth, and it was written just before the United States went into World War II, and he wrote it in the context of an ice age, an ice flow that had started at Montreal and was heading down to the northeast of our country. And it was gradually making things very, very cold. And so people were burning the furniture to start a fire and keep a fire going. And meanwhile, the parents were trying to get their kids prepared for the end of the world. And so they were trying to give them a crash course in all the things that they needed to know that they could present and defend themselves before the throne of God. Well, I get the impression that's what we've been doing here for the last eight weeks. Jesus is giving us really strategic lessons. And I don't know what you do with these uh, missiles that you have, if you throw them away or recycle them, but we're going to get some new ones, I think, when Advent starts. Maybe get one of those and just go back over all of the last 12 of the Gospels. It's all about discipleship. And what Jesus is contending with is some rivals who want to set up an equal shop to his. I I don't know where you want to start the thinking, but it opens probably with the multiplication of the loaves. And Jesus sees people in need and one of them says, where are we going to get enough bread to feed this crowd? And Jesus says, feed them yourselves. And so his admonition to each one of us is we're all supposed to be feeding a very hungry crowd. And given the fact that they dropped the ball, then he picks it up and does it himself. And then It is, we have the Transfiguration. And the important point in the Transfiguration is that Peter says, if you wish, let us build three booths here. That's a critical piece of discipleship. If you wish. It's not what I wish. It's what God wishes. us. If you wish, let us do this." And of course, they didn't build the three booths because that wasn't what he wished. And we've had these instances where he brings children before them and says, unless you become like a little child, well, an accepting child, an obedient child, a child that's able to sense and see and feel awe, at what is happening, not to set up a rival camp, but to come before and demonstrate clearly that what God is doing is creating a new world, a new creation. I think that's what it means. You remember when he healed the sight and the peace impediment of the blind man? He used something from the earth Mixing the dirt with his saliva and spread it over the man's eyes. And he began to see this new creation. In fact, that was an early name for Jesus, Isav. And we'll see that demonstrated next week when he allows Timaeus or Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, to see. And you remember Peter getting in trouble after he made this great confession that you are the Christ, the son of the living God, it says Rhea Philippi. And, uh, and he, then he, as Jesus predicts the Passion, he challenges Jesus and he says, get behind me. You're not to be at my side. You're not to be in front of me. You're to follow me. And Jesus contends with the same attitude tonight when James and John, who are part of the inner circle, I mean they're there at the Transfiguration. Maybe they what they brought off that mountain was that here is Jesus, and the two standing by him are no longer necessary, Moses and Elijah. So let's go ahead and have James and John. So let's ask for this. And they reveal their desires and There's practically no more surefire way to read the heart than to examine our desires. If we examine our desires, that's a pretty authentic interpretation of where our heart is. And so tonight, here with James and John, Jesus is telling them, no, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. And unless you get that, you have no place in the kingdom. Why is that so critical? Service. He mentions it in the Gospel. They're no longer servants, but friends. That's what he invites all of us into. A friendship with him, that is credentialed by the fact we know his will and attempt to follow it. We're not setting up a rival faction, a better deal for people. Jesus offers us that incredible invitation that we can get out of the role of servant and become his friend. And it all comes down to last Sunday, I think. What must I do to have eternal life? Well, you must sell all you have. What are we going to sell? The only thing we really have to sell is ourselves. Do you remember the condition for discipleship? Anyone who wishes to come after me must take up his cross and follow me. And i would be the first to tell you, I don't understand the divine ecology. I don't really. If you lose your life, you gain it. If you hold on to your life, you lose it. That's a very mysterious ecology to me. I just know it works. I don't know how it works. I don't know why that's the mechanism that does work. I just know it works. God has to be number one. Our wills have to be subordinated to his. None of our possessions is going to provide us the friendship that Jesus does. And that's the only path to eternal life. I remember that poem by Auden. If you really want to live, you ought to start right away to try. If you don't, it doesn't matter, but you ought to start to die. We need to be a people who really wants to live, and we're not going to risk losing eternal life for anything. God is number one. And he gives us the number one gift for which our hearts yearn, eternal life.